Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm really glad you could join me as in this episode, we're going to speak with Dr. Reuben Woods all about street art of Ototahi Christchurch. He's the creative director at Watch This Space, which is really celebrating the murals and street art that arose after the Christchurch earthquakes. But we don't just talk about that. We also talk about his life story, his journey, what's led him to do what he does today. As those of you who've listened to Seeds know, this is about finding and unlocking the stories of people and their journeys. What is it that shaped them into who they are today? This one was special to record because I was actually around when this charity began and helped with the legal drafting on the documents that set it up. And a special shout out to Clive Anthony, who's a board member of Watch This Space. We were having lunch, and he's the one who suggested that I reach out to Ruben. And check out Watch This Space's website. That's in the show notes. If you enjoy this, then why not check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog of this project, because this is episode 352. Hey, if you could do me one favor, is there somebody that you could tell about Seeds? Just one person. Maybe forward this on or let them know over dinner. I think it's something that they would enjoy, and so that's doing them a favor as well. And check out the revamped website at theseeds.nz. A big shout out to Jamie Small from Wordshop. They've done an amazing job at redesigning the site, including new logos. So check that out as well. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see. Now let's get straight into this conversation with Dr. Reuben Woods. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Dr. Reuben Woods, who's the creative director at Watch This Space. Thanks for joining me. No problems. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm really glad you could join me because um, Watch This Space is something I, it's actually pretty close to my heart. I've been around or seen it right from the beginning. And I know that you're doing amazing work in amplifying knowledge of art that's been painted by amazing artists. So I would love to find out more about that. Um, but before we do that, I'd like to jump in a time machine to hear a little <laughs> bit more of your story. Sure. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what was life like for you when you were, say, four or five years old? I actually um, wondered if this would sort of be the, 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 the opening, opening question. It made me realize I, I haven't spent a lot of time, I guess, reflecting on my childhood as such because it was a relatively comfortable childhood, which is great. Like, you know, I don't, I don't come from a, a wealthy family, um, but... You know, I was raised in an environment where I think I was always encouraged to do what I loved and, and that anything was kind of possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in North New Brighton um, by the beach, which I think has had a, a lasting impact on me. Um, you know, it's almost a – there's an ingrown um, ability to know when you're close to the beach. And I think when you grow up living close to the ocean – you feel its presence and you know when you're not by the ocean and you know that's one thing I always gauge that feeling of being home because I still live in that same area um, when you are able to hear the roar of the ocean you know you're home you know it's it's kind of like uh, I think the that that famous um, 70s film the warriors you know they make it home to Coney Island and you know when you see the ocean that's when they know they're on their turf uh, it's almost a similar kind of vibe for me um, with the beach so yeah grew up you know, we lived in a cul-de-sac, which meant that um, you were out playing in the street with all the other neighborhood kids, neighborhood kids um, every night. You know, till till dusk when you got called in for dinner and summer holidays. You know, you didn't have to go anywhere because the beach was so close. You could just leave home in the morning and 
pop back in if you needed some sustenance and mm. you know live that way. Um, you know, one of the most telling I think influences that's that's impacted me in my life going further further on was just the presence of Thompson Thompson Park Skate Park down the road. Um, you know, that's a pretty iconic um, North Beach space. The the skate park there before its redevelopment that that happened in more recent years. You know, was this this awesome concrete kind of field with graffiti painted all over the surfaces um you know always remember a, a, a skull painted on the the quarter pipe uh, that people would drop in on and, and skate into the bowl um you know there was a um a sense of that place being both of the community but also just had that little little nice touch of edginess as well which i think always left a lasting impression on me mm. um you know and that when i look back at it that was kind of the first time in, when, as a youngster, I guess, that I engaged with art. And it wasn't in an art gallery. It wasn't in a museum. Mm. It was in a skate park down the road from home. So, mm. you know, that I think shows that for a lot of people, their first engagement with art isn't in these sort of elevated places. It's much more direct. It's much more, um, uh, much more understated or, you know, um, much more sort of, uh, ingrained in your surrounding environment and you know that's something that I carry with me now is that arts should be something that is immediately accessible for people mm. you should be able to find it where you are you should be able to attach it to your existence to your experiences and kind of just know that creativity is such an important thing in our life and we can always be partaking it you know we don't have to find specific forums or you know we can we can use the space around us for that expression which mm. is something that's really valuable yeah well i love that word that you're using accessible you know that it's not because i think if you started talking about art you know in i'm using quote marks art people would start thinking oh art gallery you know like it's a special place that you go to and maybe you pay money to go in and you see mm. the art but i think you're right it's actually if you have a bigger conception then potentially it's that art at the skate park yeah that's very accessible that anybody is there and anybody could create it potentially too yeah. right yeah i mean yeah i mean in most cases you don't know who's created it you, yeah. you're left with a bit of a mystery you know and, and the culture of graffiti you know you adopt a moniker you adopt a, an alias mm. and you, you write that name and you know there's a power in that anonymity of read um articles that sort of talk about how you know essentially one of the attractions of graffiti is that you create uh an, an identity that you can apply that makes you kind of like a superhero or supervillain, um, and ultimately um, you can play off that identity. You mm. know and that that visual representation of your identity on a wall is, is a really powerful act in many ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the idea of accessibility. Um, you know, I have my some of my closest friends that I've grown up with. You know, still have probably very rarely set foot in an art gallery. Um, and they would feel weird doing so because it doesn't feel like a space for them. And, and you know, that's not the case for, that's not a thing for me because I love art everywhere. Mm. You know, I'm more than happy visiting galleries and everything like that. It's not to say that they aren't super valuable. I think they really are. Mm. Um, but, you know, there still is a, is a bit of a block. And, and when you can make art as part of our urban environment, you do remove that barrier for some people. Um, and, you know, as a result more people can see the benefit of, of creative expression. Yeah. Well, I love those thoughts, and I think we're going to have recurring theme here of art and its place, because even someone famous like Banksy, you know, like think about that and 
the value of those or the recognition of the art from the traditional art world now you know it's millions and millions of pounds for this you know drawing or mm -hmm. picture or whatever um, yeah so let's come back to that I'm curious what you were saying just about the ocean so like if you went out you know if you went off to go skiing or something or you're in the mountains is that like a physical thing that you you can tell you're not near the ocean I, I'm just want to not so much that. when I'm in the mountains or, or in the river and you know like I'm, I'm I, I occupy a, sa a strange space I guess in that I'm quite a sort of an urban being you know like I feel really comfortable in a city mm. but I think the ocean is a signifier of being home um, you know when I've traveled overseas you know I, I remember coming home and the drive from the airport uh, in the Christchurch summer um, you know my arm out the window I remember getting home and just getting close enough to hear the roar of the ocean right you know, there was something there um, and I, I remember my arm getting burnt within about five minutes <laughs> being <laughs> on the window. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those things that I think it's a it's a sense, and it grow, it comes from growing up with the window open, hearing the roar of the ocean at night. You know, we, we I literally was, I don't know, five hundred meters down the road from the ocean. So you know, on certain nights you could hear it coming through the window yeah. so loudly and clearly. Um, you know, growing up as a as a younger teenager, you know, it was it was really common that about. 11 o'clock at night and you and your friends would decide oh let's go for a swim at the beach and things like that you know so that that accessibility i think just becomes ingrained mm. and yeah there's 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 something there i mean I'm, for all this i'm not a surfer um, <laughs> so i don't have that that sort of physical attachment it's more a it's a different sensory thing it's the yeah. sound and and even sometimes you know growing up in that area in north beach and and you know feeling a really, really strong connection to places like new brighton there's almost something as well about the the salt in the air and things like that you know there's just a there's something that gets under your skin i think when you yeah. when you grow up near the ocean whether or not it's it's a direct engagement it's it's a it's a thing yeah oh definitely and it's it's kind of a different environment isn't it because even different plants will grow there you know it's it's probably because you won't get as hard a frost right by the ocean you know it's mm. like there's almost a different vibe in that sort of area and in Christchurch I'm thinking of like Sumner area and Taylor's Mistake and New Brighton and then going up the coast and down the coast and yeah yeah I know for me one of the powerful moments for well actually setting the scene we forget how much the of the earth is the ocean mm. like we tend to look at maps and we're concentrating on the land masses yep. where yep. people can live but actually if you got a proper map I saw one the other day and it showed like the Pacific Ocean yeah and then it showed the the land, but only as a rim around the Pacific Ocean. Right. And you just realize, wow, that is a lot more space. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. There's way more ocean than there is land. And yep. we sometimes get it around the other way because we're kind of terrestrial creatures. Yeah. We're, we're yeah, on the absolutely. land. Yeah. But actually, the ocean is there. Anyway, that's leading to this story that I was in Europe one time, and I remember going down to the beach and taking off my shoes and walking into the water and realizing that in some way I was connected all the way back to New Zealand. Mm. You know, like, because the water, at, of course it would be impossible to swim it, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the water was connected to water far, far away. Yep. And I just love that idea, that connection that the ocean provides between the continents and the islands and yeah. everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really an interesting reflection, that idea that we, as terrestrial kind of beings yeah we, we think of land as this sort of 
sanctuary the safe safe thing um, yeah. in some ways right the ocean is so so vast and and you know there's so much to it that we don't know as well there's something mysterious about it and yet yeah it's such a strong i mean you know it's also so vital right yeah. <laughs> it's so vital um yeah but i have seen some maps like that you know i, I love those um twitter accounts that have you know unusual maps yeah um, i know that you pop up sometimes <laughs> and seeing ones like that yeah it's yeah, great yeah i used it once in a presentation to just say like this like what is this and nobody could tell like that's the pacific ocean but framed from the pacific's yeah. point of view you know rather yeah. than from new zealand's point of view yeah, yeah it's yeah. more yeah that's it i mean perspective the perspective that's applied you know mapping is a, a human perspective mm. so of course it's dominated by the by what the spaces that we yeah. naturally have to inhabit but yeah. Yeah, you flip that you know a map of through the lens of a of a seabird or something like that i guess you know as a totally different yeah. totally different viewpoint yeah that's right so you're growing up in that environment and yeah just talk us through because i'm really interested in what you studied because i understand that was kind of related to what you do today yeah but you know as a teenager you know coming through high school what sort of things were you into yeah. w was art on your radar or absolutely yeah i mean yeah. that was that was that was my my big passion yeah. um along with probably you know kicking around ball around as well but you know art um painting photography printmaking art history as well was was always there but i was at a at a boys school where it wasn't a course that was taught we had to go next door to a um a sister school for, for art history classes uh and you know my goal was was to go to art school that was what i'd hoped um that didn't work out and you know i sort of took stock and realized that you know I'd, my passion for art is too strong to to not try and find a way to make up part of what I do for the rest of my life mm -hmm. um, and yeah that led to me enrolling in an art history undergrad course mm. and can I just ask at that you know were there influences shaping that love of art like yeah your parents or you know grandparents or or was it more this is something that I really love yeah like it was inherent it, it, I think it was more inherent yeah. um, you know my, my father has a sort of a I mean he'd call himself a doodler um, and you'd always find the doodles that he'd make while he was on on the phone, and they were very um, almost kind of outsider art. You know, you could kind of imagine finding boxes and boxes of these sort of doodles in someone's house that had they hadn't left their house for you know years or something right. like that. <laughs> um, but he was always doing it, you know, and, and he had that that side to him that that I think influenced me. My mother was. Um, not necessarily out, is not necessarily outwardly creative but she was very much a, a thinker um avid reader consumed a lot of sort of culture in that regard and i think passed on once she recognized my l passion for art she really encouraged it mm. um and but yeah no it wasn't you know i don't have a an auntie or uncle or a grandparent who were you know celebrated artists or anything like that sure. it was something yeah. that just seemed to um, connect with me and, and right through you know I always that was always something I mean I I always wanted to draw and um, you know then paint and you know I think when I was about 15 or 16 I had this thing where I tried to turn my bedroom into a into a painting studio by getting rid of a bed and having a fold-out couch which in hindsight it was a ridiculous move for my back um, but yeah so that I could fold that up and have more room for a giant easel and you know sort of paint and you know all my space was sort of covered with with some tubes of oil paint and things like that it, but interestingly it wasn't um 
at that stage anyway, you know, the idea of art in the streets wasn't as strong a, an impulse for me. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I always say I'm not, I don't come from a graffiti writing background. That, that wasn't something that I did. I always connected with it. I always saw it and was, you know, like aware of, of kind of what it meant, but it wasn't a path that I took at that stage. Mm. Um, interestingly, it was when I started my undergraduate degree at UC in art history and started taking a lot of associated papers at the time, American study papers, mm -hmm. um, that allowed me to start to connect with it. And you know, I, I think I was taking a lot of these courses on art being made a long time ago in places far away. And that led me to, to realize that, you know, my experiences, I had been to art galleries and things like that, but I hadn't, it, it didn't feel as, as uniquely me or, or as as vibrant or vital to me as maybe some of this were. And, you know, the, the, the works of art that we were covering, the, the periods of time we were covering, of course I hold in really high regard, but there was something that made me kind of want to actually explore something that was more contemporary, but also not just contemporary in time, but also just more, I guess, resonance around the experience of, of living now, of... Mm. of young people making art and, and all these types of things and I just I, started to sorry oh I was just gonna say because I guess the temptation with art history would be to submerse yourself into the renaissance yeah or you know the Italian it's uh, it's period. in the name right yeah like, yeah you know, thinking of it as an historical kind yeah. of field of study uh and, you know, I always valued that I always loved the fact that art can tell us so much about what happens yeah. at any single time you know and, and it records it's been a way of recording history of of analyzing history and of making sense mm. but yeah i guess i wanted i wanted to to explore how art that was being made in this very direct way could do that now mm. and i went through a stage of just trying to find every opportunity i could to write about graffiti or street art and and whatever that was um so do you remember that sort of shift like was there a moment when you thought I really need to explore the contemporary art scene yep. or yeah was yeah I think it was it was in sort of my second year uh -huh. um, I just I don't know it just I ended up finding myself thinking that you know this is why are we not why are we not acknowledging why isn't this being acknowledged why isn't this being talked about because this is what all of us are seeing um, and yeah and, and you know I, I know it wasn't for everybody but mm. I just wanted to to find the opportunity to learn more about it, to to try and illuminate more of it as well, mm. because at the time there weren't a lot of resources. You know, like I'd go to the the university library looking for books around the topic, and essentially nothing. You know, you'd right. find some old sociological texts that kind of talked about graffiti writing in New York and and its connection to you know um, urban gangs and um, things like that. You know, it was it was very much from a sociological mm. kind of point of view. Uh, or you know, geolog uh, sort of geography, or you know, those sort of those disciplines rather than an art historical discipline. Sure. Uh, so I started sort of trying to figure out how, I, how can I write about this when there are no resources. The lecturers weren't sort of experts either. You know, they they were really supportive, but mm. they'd admit that that wasn't a field of study that they'd they'd taken. Um, but I'd pester them and always be like, "Oh, I see you've listed a special topic where I can su suggest a topic, and can I write about this?" And they'd say, "Yes, okay. Well, what what is the actual question you want to address?" Be like, "Oh, well, you know, I want to look at um, graffiti art in New Zealand," and 
be like, well, that's quite a broad topic. <laughs> so, you know, we would sort of back and forth and yeah. eventually I'd find a way that I could write about it. And it was it was quite challenging. I wrote an honours paper that was, you know, one of those things that you look back on and it's kind of like, oh, that's pretty cringy. Um, but at the same time, I found, I found a direction and it, and it made me really feel like I maybe not had a purpose, but I was doing something that was unique to mm. me, to, to my experience, but also, you know, it wasn't taking me down the same pathway as all of the other students in, in those courses. Right. Um, but I guess at that time, um, pathways were pretty minimal. Um, and I just sort of graduated and ended up working various jobs, mm. but not really progressing down a field of study of, of sort of work in that field. Mm. And then, of course, as I'm sure a lot of these conversations end up mentioning, yeah. the ground shook and the city of Otatahi changed. And I travelled overseas uh, at that point, and it wasn't it was planned before the earthquakes. It wasn't like you know sort of a response of flight from the earthquakes. Um, but yeah, I was traveling around North America, I was traveling around Europe and I was using the art in the streets, which I was already, you know, a big, had, a, had that background in to guide myself and to explore these cities, you know, and, and I was traveling in a way where I was sort of waking up in different places quite regularly. It wasn't like I was working in a place for a year where you essentially start to do the same things that you do home. Right. Mm. And because I was using these forms of art to experience new places, it just was obvious. Like we've got a city that's having to recover and, and reform itself. Um, art in the streets is going to play a big role in, in our city's recovery. So when I returned, I knew I didn't want to go back to the job I was working, and I said to myself, "Right, I need to need to go back and retrain or study some more." Mm. And looked at some options, and ended up enrolling in a master's degree. Um, with the idea of exploring what street art was emerging in Otatahi post-quake. Mm. And what year was this then? Was that like 2012 13? Yeah. Okay, so it was fairly soon after. Yeah. yeah. It was, It was. you know, a hunch basically, I guess, that, that this would be a topic that would be able to be yeah. sustain, sustain a, a master's degree. But within about six months, uh, my supervisor started to suggest actually there's enough here to look at a PhD and yeah quickly um, I applied to shift to a PhD program and um, yeah four years later <laughs> I finished that that thesis um, looking at the performances of uh, graffiti street art and I guess what I termed independent public art mm -hmm. uh, in post quake Otatahi um, and you know it was I often reflect that it was a kind of perfect storm. You know, the environment of what was happening mm. um, allowed that situation to blossom and, and for me to, to produce that work and to then make a career out of that mm. afterwards as well. So, you know, there was there was a... I'm always wary of how to phrase it. There was some fortune amongst the, the tragedy, I mm. guess, of what happened. Mm. Um, I also found that because it was a topic that I was you know, truly passionate about, it never felt like the chore of a, of a postgrad study can be. Right. You know, yeah. I, I always felt to the credit of my supervisors that I had the direction in my hands. Uh, you know, it never felt like I was doing the work for someone else. You know, I, I know that there are cases of postgrads, you know, essentially doing research based on what a supervisor's field is and, you know, that sort of 
the opportunity to learn under someone um, by, by doing that work. And for me, it was sort of the opposite. My supervisors were there to help me achieve this and, and they sort of, you know, um, provided the right type of support that I needed and I was eternally grateful for that. Um, had a really good relationship with my supervisors uh, at UC. Um, That's great. And the I guess, because you're right, it's the, the timing but the sequence of you want to do something fresh, you want to explore a topic and this has just happened and because this is the reality is there was street art emerging right like if you're tearing down buildings and all of a sudden there's a blank canvas on yep. the back side of a building that you haven't seen for 50 years yeah, yeah. then there's street art emerging just yep. kind of naturally so there's yeah there's a combination there's a combination of the physical mm. possibility you know yeah. we were in an environment that had plentiful spaces and 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 um, walls and surfaces that could be painted, yeah. but of course we also had to respond to an an event that has defined our city, um, and is in many ways unparalleled to any previous event in our in Otatahi's history as well. Yeah. So there was a, a perfect storm of sort of physical possibility as well as um, the sort of social response as well, and of course it was all within a period of time that globally this form of art was becoming increasingly recognized mm. and increasingly utilized uh, as a way to place make, to, um, to form, ex- to, to declare, you know, expression and, mm. and to do all of these different things. So, And to have messages as well. Because yeah. I remember I was living in London in like 2004 to 2008. And that was that, I mentioned Banksy before, because that was kind of the, the height of the fame mm-hmm. of who is this person who's got this political message that's been, you know, spray painted onto mm. the backside of a fish and chip shop? You know, like yeah. what, what it's like this dichotomy, the, the location of this and the meaning yeah. of it, you know, like the, there, there were just so many examples of um, a political statement yeah. or something deep and meaningful that you would expect to be in a gallery. Yeah. But in a, in a way that was really accessible, right? Yeah, anybody Again, can see it. Yeah. Um, not just accessible in its visibility, but accessible in its visual language. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's something that opens Banksy, the the the, the entity that is Banksy anyway, mm-hmm. um, to both praise and criticism because you know there's a there's a visual vernacular that's used that is easily accessible, easily understood. And that's great because it means that people are engaging with ideas without even necessarily realizing it. Mm. But at the same time, I think there's also been charges from perhaps people who look at art and creativity through a different lens that oh, it's too easily understood, mm. which I think is kind of a shame to look at it that way. Because, mm. you know, I think if, if, if it's engaging an audience who otherwise might not, then obviously it's using the right language. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And, the you know, I'm sure the saying is said, picture tells a thousand words. Like, <laughs> which would you rather have a visual illustration or an essay? You know, like, <laughs> if you yeah. can make the same point, yeah. having a picture that you can look at and five seconds later, people understand it. Like, I called this podcast Seeds, and I'm so grateful I did that instead of, like, a long-winded name right. that, that was a bit obscure and academic. Because Seeds, it's just... As soon as I say it, or as soon as you see the logo or the picture, you're like, oh, "Okay, it's probably about like people's journeys and growing, you yeah. know, like or yeah. something about that." Yeah. 
it's easy. Right? It's it's uh, yeah. So um, yeah, it's really interesting. So the the um, the thesis that you write, like it's a lot of work, a couple mm -hmm. years of your life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what what sort of um, conclusion were you were you coming to in it, or what were you trying to one expand the, on? Yeah, one of the interesting things was that you know in, in some ways it highlighted the sort of fact that what was happening here was almost a sped up microcosm of what had been happening mm. globally for a decade. Mm. We saw this sort of first response, which was uh, much more urgent. It was, you know, names on, on empty spaces. It was um, very political. You know, it was, it was making sense of the post-quake environment. Then we saw the rise of muralism as, as a sort of a tool uh, and then we saw as the city changed the need for the art to change as well so it was kind of going through the same phases that that urban art had been through mm. on a global scale which yeah. i thought was was quite interesting um that this post-disaster environment almost sort of creates a, a a cocoon of of need that that evolves in quite a quick state mm. and quite a quick speed well it probably accelerates it right like yeah you're saying you know like in other cities there isn't necessarily a natural canvas there no. on the backside of a wall that wasn't there before. Yeah. And there's and probably a desire to express yourself as well. Yeah, and the, and the conditions in which you create something, whilst they constantly change, they maybe don't change quite as explicitly as a post-disaster environment does, mm -hmm. where you're really grappling with quite a lot of um, emotions in many ways. And, you know, like I always said as well that with my thesis, I could have gone for another two years because mm. the story was still unfolding sure you know you, you have to draw a line under it at some stage yeah uh and you know the other thing was just how much i think people were willing to see art in the streets as a way for us to rethink our, our sense of identity rethink our sense of community you know it, it showed that in many ways i think the environment we're given or we feel like we're given um, can play into what we think is possible and seeing an environment that had been broken and there was a an unlimited sense of what the possibility could be in the rebuild was much more powerful than when you see an environment where the change is occurring because someone with the strings of control has made the decision that oh we need a new building here sure you know, so th there was something about um, that and and the other thing that became really apparent which i think was quite powerful is that whilst a lot of people left the city in the wake of the earthquakes, which is understandable, you know, there was there was obviously need in some cases for people losing jobs and, and homes and other people it was it was a an anxiety, um, a totally understandable anxiety. But there were also people I think who ended up staying here who otherwise may not have, because there was a chance, there was a possibility of contributing in a way that actually is quite difficult to do otherwise. And for creatives, I think that was a really strong pull. Mm. It feels like in that, it felt like in that post-disaster environment, no matter the size of the gesture you, gesture you made, it was contributing. Mm. And whether that was, you know, making art in the streets and that was small scale or it was attending one of Gapfiller's activations or being part of a sort of a sense of community, it felt like you were part of it. It felt like your your contribution mattered. Mm -hmm. And that was really important because as time passes, it, it's sometimes harder to get that feeling because, you know, you might, even if you work on the construction of a building, it doesn't necessarily feel like something that, that is 
as deeply yours as a smaller sort of activation. Um, so I think actually it went a long way for us to see possibility and for people to be retained here in a, in a way that otherwise might not have happened. Yeah, yeah, that's really good, good insights. And watch this space. I'm just curious, could you outline a little bit of the history, which mm. I know a bit of it, but just yeah, yeah. give us the, the, the you know, background. So and then what are you doing today? Yeah, so Watch the Space was founded by Lindsay Chan um, in 2016 um, with the goal of essentially mapping out the city's um, street art. Mm-hmm. Lindsay had moved here, um, was cycling around the city a lot, loved all of the art in the streets, but wondered why there wasn't a sort of a resource that told you more about it. And as a someone with a background in um, mapping and sort of geospatial work, uh, she set about building a, a map. Originally, the idea was she'd build a website that mapped out all the street art, allowed you to log, to sort of you know, click on a work, find out about the artist, find out about the narrative that was being presented, when it was commissioned, all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. And then eventually her goal was to create an app as well, a mobile app that would, that would have all that detail. Um, it was then that I was introduced to Lindsay and we started sort of conversations around what might watch the space do because there are there are things you know like she came in from a background of being something of an outsider to that form of art um and you know there was a lot of things to consider you know like particularly how do you include or document art that's produced without permission in that space how do you how do you find out how do you gain trust of people who you know are generally part of a community that isn't always super trusting Mm. um and i guess yeah i sort of came on board largely just to provide some insight Mm. Um, and that eventually grew to me taking on the creative director role and in that time we've we've sort of evolved what watch the space does to now not only still have that online resource but we've increased the um, the sort of editorial content I guess of of the website with artists interviews coverage of events um, creating a platform for urban creatives Uh, we have also um, introduced street art walking tours where we host people around the city to, to show off the art and to really explore the stories behind the art and, and the artists as well. We do a lot of work uh, around the sort of education space around urban art and, and why it's valuable and important to a city. We um, also work with artists and outside bodies around you know, commission and projects. Um, you know, At the moment we're working with Christchurch NZ and a group of artists um, to project animated works of art onto the side of Tapai on the end of Gloucester Street, um, the Spotlight Project, which is a really cool initiative and gives our urban artists the chance to collaborate with local animators and then to see their work in a new light to activate the city after dark as well. Um, We are later this year going to launch the Little Street Art Festival, which is the first uh, time we've we've hosted this festival, it's all about small scale urban art. So the surprising little interventions that you might find, ranging from paintings to sculptures to installations, uh, you know, every sort of type of art that really defines the post graffiti spectrum. So you know we have always celebrated the the muralism in Ototahi because it's been such an amazing addition, but we've also recognised that urban art has the potential to be a lot more. It can be. Um, small comments rather than grandiose declarations right. because those are the things that often can color our experience of a city those things tucked around a corner things that just capture your attention and you kind of glance and then you're led somewhere and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a space that you didn't expect to be uh, the things that create a moment of sort of whimsical laughter and, and all those types of things so we're really excited to present that festival at the end of this year we are also you know trying to advocate for 
urban arts position as a, as a creative uh, force and the city's position as something of an urban art destination, mm. not just in Aotearoa, but globally as well. Sure. Something that, you know, went a long way to, to being achieved, I think, through the work of a lot of people who came before, whether that's the DTR crew and guys like Decipher and Icarus and Jacob Yikes and Wongi, uh, to also the work that George Shaw from OU did with Rise at the Canterbury Museum and then the Spectrum ex- exhibitions uh, at the YMCA. Uh, the countless murals that have been commissioned around the city. You know, all these things have taken a lot of work by a lot of people, mm. but have ensured that we've become um, a destination. You know, I, I host people from out t- out of town, and they might not know much about Christchurch, but often one of the first things they do know about, of course, and maybe this is tempered by the fact that it's what I'm doing, but you know, they they hear about the street art and and they're aware of it, and you know. I think it's really unexpected for a lot of people as well. So, you know, there's this nice thing where they, they arrive and they're like, well, no, there is, there's a lot of art. Mm-hmm. And other people are like, oh, I've heard about it and I you know, came here especially to see it. So, yeah, yeah. obviously we're doing some really amazing stuff. Yeah. We have some super, super talented artists uh, in the city who are ensuring that we um, sustain that profile. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we're, we're constantly looking at forging new sort of pathways and, and new ways to make exciting things happen. Okay. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough this year as well to curate Shift at the Kennery Museum, which was perhaps the biggest urban art exhibition Aotearoa has ever, ever had. Mm-hmm. We had over 60 artists headlining that show, took over the entire museum with five stories, uh, and you know had international artists, artists from around Aotearoa and obviously local artists. and sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity but the the turnout the response really shows just how much the city has embraced this form of creativity and mm. it was such a an incredible opportunity and and experience that yeah it sort of was almost what all that all that time spent previously led to um and it was such a nice moment to sort of reflect and share with so many people that that have contributed to the urban art scene here in, mm. in the city. Yeah. Um, so it was a really special thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I think, in my mind, I've been to lots of cities around the world, right? And I'm thinking, like, Melbourne, it's just got a kind of a vibe to it, the little laneways, and street art is part of that story as well. Mm. And I think you're right. Like, it, there's some really amazing large murals, <laughs> like, not just small things, but yeah. even around Cathedral Square, you know, like, places that are prominent, and you lift your eyes up, and you go, oh, wow, that's that's amazing yeah. how did they do that you know it's like those moments yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad we're talking because I went to that Canterbury Museum um, exhibition and it was incredible so congratulations because <laughs> um, my wife and I went we we hadn't really heard of it and then we saw it advertised and we're like oh this looks amazing and for those who are not here Canterbury Museum is basically going through a massive redevelopment on the inside right like yep. it's kind of an old building yep. they're just going to pull it apart from what I can tell mm. keep the front and then have a completely different space inside yep. so therefore they allowed you and the others to go in and, and, and it was like you know an immersive experience as you're going through different parts of the museum like you walked into this room and it had a certain feel and there was it wasn't just the art there was music sometimes and there was mm. other ways that your senses were being engaged yep. um as I went through, I was with just with my you know camera on my phone, just taking videos and stuff. And yeah. It was amazing to look back at it. I've done a little six minute thing, um, and it, it's so cool because there was <laughs> like fluorescent you know yep. art that was you know different 
color under, I guess, different light. Yep. And um, as you wound your way through, and then it kind of ended in that really big hall with some huge pieces. Like, yeah. they were incredible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was such an amazing opportunity. I remember meeting with the museum, and they sort of were saying, well, we've got this opportunity with what's coming up that we could do this. Mm. And as we walked through, I kind of expected them to quickly say, so yeah, that's that they're the spaces we're thinking of, but it just went on and on. And yeah, right. it was back room <laughs> storage spaces. It was, um, yeah, it was office down blocks. in the basement. It was down and, in the basement. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I quickly kind of said, this is amazing, but we're going to need a lot of people yeah, <laughs> to contribute yeah. to this. <laughs> and they were on board. And that was what was so amazing is that they supported the whole concept mm. right away. You know, it was about combining the recognition that the, the museum is a building that holds a lot of um, special kind of memories for people. You know, if you've grown up here, you've, you've visited that building and, and it'll mean different things to lots of different people, but yeah. you know, it's, it's an iconic institution. So we knew that a lot of the audience were going to be people who wanted to come and see the museum for a final time in, mm. in the state it was. And, but of course they're going to see it in a state that it never had been as well. So it was a really <laughs> interesting sort of contrast. And, you know, upon reflection, I came to think of it as a way to actually show people that change is okay, that things change and actually change can be really refreshing and, and can suggest to us different ways of doing things. Mm. Uh, so, you know, this building that we all kind of knew and obviously is seen as this heritage building, which um, had evolved itself over time mm. because you literally could see where new parts of the building had been added on. It was, it was a real, a really kind of, uh, interesting physical layout and yeah I, I thought it, actually doing this bringing in artists from outside you know artists who would be defined as being sort of non-institutional in many ways into this space and allowing them to work their magic and do this and you know we, we made a tattoo studio in, in one of the spaces we tried to replicate a sort of a skating space we had uh, yeah as you say glow in the dark you know fluorescent rooms um we had projections and animations. We had, you know, costume sort of dioramas that, that played off what you'd expect to see in a museum. But rather than a, an elegant Victorian dress, you saw paint splattered, ripped clothes of a graffiti artist, you know, who just maybe scaled a building. So we, we really tried to play on that relationship with the museum as a building itself. But we also wanted to show the diverse output of urban creatives as well. Today, you know, we've got so much... Um, talent here in Aotearoa um, and they're doing a lot more than just painting on walls you know they are talented designers they're talented animators they're talented digital artists filmmakers photographers um, you know the, the the histories of all of these these forms of art in terms of urban art sorry um, have led to all these really interesting places and that, that exhibition was really a chance to show that off mm. and you know for me I got the chance to work with so many amazing amazingly talented artists who I'd wanted to work with for a long time and, and it was so um, so pleasing to get that opportunity um, incredibly tiring incredibly exhausting it was such an undertaking but to think that we actually pulled it off and, and achieved what we did um, was testament to I think the concept being so attractive to people yeah know? I mean we yeah. yeah we were able to pull people in that just on that idea that you know, hey, this is what we're doing. Like, that sounds amazing. We're yeah, <laughs> so. that's right. Well, th when I went through, there were definitely people there who I would say would never have 
appreciated that type of art mm. but i could tell that they were really enjoying the experience because it, it really was an experience it was like guiding through and then there's this space and this space yep. and and just as an example of the influence <laughs> my wife's home screen on her phone is now a picture that she took of some of the art like yeah, she right. loved it so much so small little thing but yeah. the fact that a person liked it enough to make it their home screen yep. shows you that there's an influence right yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I talked to so many people who either knew that i was involved or had no idea but they were you know really keen to talk about it and, yeah. and sort of find out more about it and that was awesome because again you know this type of art is accessibility its ability to reach an audience that otherwise maybe wouldn't engage with art mm. was totally exemplified by that exhibition you know and 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 highlighted the fact that this city has really embraced it because here we are with a 150 year old building and institution embracing it and, and saying yep we're gonna we can do this yeah um yeah showed the impact that urban art has made in Otatahi over the last decade plus yeah um, and as i said earlier a lot of that comes back to so much work that people have done to yeah. get us to this point yeah and it's it's pretty incredible that's great well what we'll do is in the show notes we'll link to the website and anything that you want to send me um we can put in um but i've really enjoyed hearing about your background hearing about the ocean you know <laughs> your childhood growing up loving art getting rid of your bed to have a you know <laughs> a couch to sleep on instead and then studying it but i think you're you know you must pinch yourself because to find a role that's actually directly related to something that you love that's pretty unique yeah and um yeah um what we'll do is let's just keep watching the space and um <laughs> i think if people are interested go to the website and have a look because there's a lot of great resources there so, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. follow us on social media as well and um yeah keep keep up with with what's happening in the city because um we're such a great city for urban art because it's walkable yeah. it's 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 the right size for us to find something down every corner uh and just yeah keep your eyes keep your eyes open and look and yeah watch the space yeah great well thanks for joining me cheers thanks well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Ruben Woods all about street art. I know we went in lots of directions I didn't expect, and those are the conversations I enjoy the most. Having a little side conversation about oceans and talking about the museum and how it was being redone. Um, I did actually do a video of that, so I'm going to put a link to that um, somewhere in the show notes if I can finish editing it up. If you enjoy this, then why not check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog? And don't forget, the revamped website is at theseeds.nz. Until next time, kakiteano!